Welcome to this episode of Internet Dragons TV. We are going to be tackling a TCG, a trading card game. It's actually a digital trading card game that's going to be coming out shortly. It came out on uh, Kickstarter it, not that long ago. It started on May 8th. And basically, they were asking for 300000 to be able to finish off what they'd already been working on. Well, obviously, the community proved to them that there is a huge outcry for this type of game, especially taking into consideration what they're going to be doing because it's going to be the first MMO TCG, but also based on who they are as a company. Cryptozoic has done phenomenal work, done a lot of great TCGs, including the WoW TCG, which is going to be coming to an end because of Hearthstone coming out from Blizzard. So we're going to talk about this fantastic upcoming game because we are all huge fans of TCGs. And with me, I've got Vince as well as my son Tristan is going to be joining us this time. Joe actually couldn't make it for this episode, so we're just going to three-man this one. So boys, welcome. We are all invested in this now because we've all put in our money at various tiers. Now again, Vince, which one did you choose? I chose the captain tier, which was the $50 tier. Yeah. So with yours, you're looking at four starter decks, 40 booster packs, which comes out to an $80 value there. And then the various Kickstarter exclusives that are going to be coming out as well. And then you've got the digital uh, PDF, essentially, of the uh, the art of Hex. And then you're getting the both the alpha and the beta access. So that's, again, when you're looking at the value of what you're getting, basically every tier that they offered in the Kickstarter, like they knew what they were doing. They offered an amazing value for what you're getting. And then Tristan, you actually got... The collectors here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I had actually picked up the dungeon crawler myself. Uh, It was... It was a hard choice to decide what to get because, again, if you weren't around for the Kickstarter, you can still do a Google search for Kickstarter hex and you'll be able to find it easily. And you'll be able to see the amazing tiers that we were all able to go in on that you, if you did not, well, they're gone and you're never going to see this stuff again. A lot of these are exclusives just to Kickstarter. And I really love that, too, that they understand that we wanted those special cards that aren't just going to be available later. And being a company that's not about having to make sure that their shareholders are happy, but that it's a company of gamers, they understand that they don't just have to sell those cards later because, you know, those shareholders want their money. So the uh, the upper cl- uh, and by upper, well, middle class tiers, I should say, the upper ones are freaking <laughs> nuts. <laughs> but the middle class ones are the ones that are at 250 because you have your king tier, which was 120, and it has some phenomenal stuff in it. Really, really cool. But at the 250 mark is when they started including lifelong bonuses. As for the life of the game, you are going to get these bonuses. And then there was the collector tier, which Tristan got, and that one gives you, what is it? Seven, I think. Six. Six new alternate art PvP cards per year for the life of the game. Which is going to be awesome. No kidding. Plus a second set of all the exclusive cards from the king level. 
So that's the only one that does that, that gives you so many additional cards. And then there's the Raid Leader tier, which did not sell nearly as much. There was only 144 backers of that one. And uh, that one gave you plus one card in the opening hand for all players grouped with the Raid Leader. Then there was the Guildmaster tier, which gave you 10% PvE experience for all mem- members of the Guildmaster's Guild, which is, that was a good one as well. The most popular one was the pro player tier actually because what that one did is it gave you one free draft tournament each week for the life of the game and because That's crazy because of the way that the tournaments are going to be held you're going to have to be paying using three boosters as well as i think it's one buck they said or something like that it's ridiculously low it's just so that they have it there so you're basically going to be getting three booster packs a week for the life of the game. <laughs> and then you can use it on the draft tournament if you want, or just keep the damn cards. Okay, the next big jump was for the Grand King tier, and this one jumped up to 500. And the thing that was phenomenal about this one is that it actually grouped all of those 250 tiers, and not just in terms of getting all of their rewards, although not, not duplicates and everything, but the, the, the bonuses for life. You got them all. So this is one of the tiers more so than any of the other ones that people really try to snipe later on. And by snipe, I mean as people change their uh, which tier they were choosing, certain ones became available. So people were going crazy trying to get this one. And I'm not going to lie to you. I seriously considered it because (laughs) I had the dungeon one. And then I'm thinking, you know what, though? Like I'm looking at this and knowing myself and what I'm like with, with trading card games. And I know I'm going to be playing this for a great many years. I already know that. And I'm, I'm cool with that. So I was thinking of it in terms of the massive amount of cards that you get from doing this. So I was thinking, you know what? It's actually not a bad deal. I would consider it because I was actually considering getting the Guildmaster one in addition to the Dungeon Crawler. I was considering, very little considering, but it was there because I was thinking, <laughs> I'm starting a guild. You guys are going to be in it and Joe and we're going to see about getting some other people in it. Malgash has already said he's going to be in, so that's going to be awesome. I've been playing with him on uh, Duel of Champions. So I, I considered it and then I was thinking, no, I, I, I can't justify another 250 for that. If the Grand King had been available... On impulse, I might have done it one night when I was loopy on painkillers. <laughs> I might have upgraded it and, and gotten it. Um, and then when you go up further, you got the crazy-ass primal tears and immortals where the, you can actually put your likeness on cards. The thing that was phenomenal about this, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. The thing that was great, and I think you guys will agree too, is that, like, I mean, these guys worked the Kickstarter system for all it's worth. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were trying to, to entice gamers and people who are nuts about cards. So they, all of those tiers, you felt like you were getting an amazing value. And then on top of that, whenever they hit stretch goals, the stretch goals were, you know, balls to the wall insane. There was 
there was an interview with um, Corey on um, during E3, and he was talking about that, and he was saying how the initial stretch goals that they had mapped out, he looked at them later on after seeing just how much love from the community was coming forth and thought, they're not good enough, and he just completely revamped them. And you can tell, like, I mean... The stretch goals, every time there was a new stretch goal, we were excited. And it was like, what are they giving us next? And with each one, I mean, we're getting friggin' legendary creatures they're going to give us. We've got full sets. We got the uh, the Spectral Lotus, which Tristan is going to be talking about later on. Like, this was one of the best Kickstarters, and it shows that I know at least I've seen in a long time. Well, I usually don't pay that much attention to Kickstarter. It's one of those things where you know, everybody has one now, but like I, I'd heard about this for a while, and I was like, I'm not going to look at it. And then after finally enough people going on about it, I think it was when they got close to that uh, 1.5 million with the tablet support. Right. I was like, wow. okay, now I'm really interested. And as soon as I looked at it, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm in. Because yeah. it was ridiculous. The tablet support was the one that I actually waited to back this until the tablet support was in. And then it was like, okay, because I know I, I want to play this on my iPad. I want I don't want to be chained to my laptop or to, to my iMac. I will play it on there as well. But, I mean, I'm playing Duel of Champions on my iPad exclusively and loving it. I played... Magic the Gathering on the iPad. It's just such a phenomenal format for it. And I mean, it's going to be the same for you too, being able to play on Android because you've got your tablet too. too. So mm-hmm. it's just, it lends itself so well to TCGs. Yeah, you know how much it bugs me every time I sit down to, to play Duel and I see you're on? I was like, I bet he's just sitting on the couch watching TV. Oh, dude, I am. <laughs> yeah, that or on the can. <laughs> I mean, it's one of them. <laughs> but it's great. And it honestly, it's, it's it's good and it's not good because it's keeping me up at night too. I'm laying in bed <laughs> playing this freaking game till you know like some nights two in the morning because it's so engaging. Now, as as engaging as Duel of Champions is, it's going to pale in comparison to what Hex is doing. We're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff, but again, let's go back to the the important statement there where it's going to be the first MMOTCG. So we'll get into more details of that in a bit. But because of that, they're taking great care in what they're doing with the game. They're taking great care in how they're delivering the story for the game as well. So this is something where they didn't just haphazardly, you know, shove some creatures together and say, here, this is this all makes sense. This is the lore and things like that. Like as as much as I'm enjoying Duel of Champions, the lore is pretty thin. I mean the the quest campaign is is pretty thin and it doesn't have much to it. Meanwhile, this is so rich that A, they're putting through uh, updates all the time with lore just to to so that people can be more invested in it but also they're going to be doing a novel based in that world which was one of the stretch goals and i personally can't wait to to uh to be reading that so what we're looking at here as a, a basic premise and, and then working our way into the factions of the game is that essentially there was a meteor that came down and it struck the planet of Anthrath. Now that is the their Earth essentially for this game. This meteor literally went through the planet. So you have this 
volcanic volcanic eruption at both of those poles now and as it was going through it basically once it got out the other end the the planet's gravity was strong enough to essentially hold it in orbit so it's kind of like this moon that's there and as it was going through the outer shell was broken apart in you know bazillion little gems that then infected infested whatever you want to say the world and it's that's why we have shards of fate so all of these shards are what has basically allowed a lot of well basically anybody who wants to take the time to study it can now have some form of magical properties or something so in a in a way to basically explain why a world has magic they did a pretty damn good job. It's engaging and it's fun and it makes sense. And then taking it a little bit further and using logic from there on, well, who would be some of the first ones to be affected by this? The people that are already dead and in the ground. So all of the various mausoleums and different things where the people have been buried got infected with these gems. And so the dead started rising. And with no memory of who they were in their prior lives, they're just these new magical creatures and they're bringing all of the other dead people to life by shoving gems in their eye sockets. (laughs) You got to love that. (laughs) Now, this basically pissed off all of the humans on the topside world because here are their, their kings, their knights, their all of these people that they've loved being brought back to life as these, you know, magical creatures with no semblance of who they used to be. So, there was this war that lasted centuries and made for alliances from there because of that. And I'll let you tackle the, the how those alliances work in the game. Vince. Yeah, so after 2,000 years of these you know, ongoing battles between the necrotic and the humans, the necrotic finally realized it was time to you know, up their game and really make their big push to the surface. And this was uh, 300 years before the start of the game. So they made various alliances with the other races that live under the ground. And with the hexing gem powers, the necrotic can be very persuasive, let's just say. <laughs> but it, it, they didn't straight up, uh, you know, force them to join. They, they, everybody had a good reason to join. Uh, first of all, you have the dwarves who in the world of Hex, dwarves aren't these fun-loving, drinking, <laughs> dancing. Yeah. Dude, no, <laughs> these dwarves are just evil almost. I mean, they, they just relish in death and destruction. So, you know, they, they signed up for a good war. We also have the Venon, which are a spider race that are actually crossbred from orcs, which, you know, centuries before, orcs ventured down below the surface, met the spider goddess who ate them, <laughs> and then laid eggs and gave birth to the Venon. So Venon have a extreme hatred for the orcs who live on the surface, so they joined up. And then you have the greatest race in the game, and that is the Shin Hair. As, <laughs> as I was just explaining to Tristan a little while ago, the Shin Hair are this brilliant combination of Usagi Yojimbo and Mouse Guard. Yeah. They have this Japanese feudal society, and God, the artwork on those cards is just fabulous. You know they were having fun with those. Anytime yeah. they told someone, okay, we need more Shin Hair, those artists must have been just giggling maniacally. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the Shin Hare actually used to live on the surface. And then uh, during uh, their own little war with uh, the surface dwellers, they ended up getting cast below ground. So they joined up with the Necrotic in order to kind of regain their territory and just get some revenge. So you have these four races just busting through to the surface in this huge offensive push that the humans themselves couldn't contain. So the humans went and gathered the surface allies. You have your elves, which are typical elf-type race that we've seen so many places. The orcs, which are awesome. <laughs> the, they're, they're very similar to orcs we've seen in so many other fantasy-type universes. But they have this cool sense of honor to them, how they, they, everything they do is for the mountain god that they, they live basically in. And they, they fight in these tournaments constantly in the arena to, to serve as blood sacrifices to the gods. So they're this very honorable warrior race. And they don't really like the humans or the elves, but for the betterment of the surface and also they get a chance to smash them then in, in the face. They, they were perfectly happy to join up. <laughs> and then you have the Kyotl, which are a completely – I don't want to say completely unique because they're similar to, you know, like the Torn and World of Warcraft. They're a very like shamanistic, almost Native American type species. But again, this is another one where you could see the artists are just oh, having yeah. a blast oh, with these character designs. It, what it made me think of was the uh, basically the like the Worgen race. It's a, a dog type race kind of thing. So but it's the perfect offset to the hares. Coyotes mm-hmm. and the hares, and it's it is. I like that they are putting more of that shamanistic spin on them, so they will be a, a fun deck to play as well, without a doubt. Yeah, and it's actually the Coyote that gave the uh, surface dwellers their faction name. They decided to call themselves the Ardent, and one of the Coyote medicine men gave them that name because the Ardent is the name of the brightest star in the summer sky and the third brightest object in the heavens second or third behind uh, the moon and hex it, the meteor itself which is now in orbit and they say that the star's fierce and eternal glow would inspire the ardent forces no matter how dark the years of war would become so that's just yeah awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they they bound together pushed back the uh the underworld forces and for the last several hundred years have been living in a very tense stalemate which of course leads us to the events of the game what i like too is that when you're looking at the the factions and how they're set up and whatnot like you're saying it's there's some similarities but there's enough that's really quite a bit different than what we've seen i mean here we have again humans and orcs working together and then what they did with these the bottom dwellers whatever you want to call them uh, underground dwellers i guess you should say yeah underworld is again unique enough to make it something and, and in some case quite unique like the hairs that it makes it something that's different than what we're used to in the typical RPG fair kind of thing. And then what I, I like as well is that in addition to this, like this is what's going on and these are the ones that are going to be playable for us, but there's a lot of other things going on because of this now too. So you have a lot of other factions that are going to be for now only NPC factions like the the um the the, the junkyard dog guys that are that have like there's a, an entire raid dungeon kind of thing just for them, but they are a faction in the game that you're going to have to go up against. There's no saying it may never come to pass 
that we have the option of playing as one of them as well. It's a, it's a TCG. It's a lot easier to make that happen than it would in a traditional MMO. Yeah, they never said we'd play. They said we'd never play as goblins in World of Warcraft. Basically, so anything go, can yeah. happen. So I really like what's going on here with the the playable factions as they're going to be. But on top of that, when you're looking at all of the factions that are existing for the time being only as NPCs, they're super interesting as well. And the potential to play as one of those, but maybe later on, really is quite inspiring. I, I, I would really like that a lot. Well, and they even give you a taste of that, uh, as we'll discuss later, with the mercenaries. Yeah, yeah. So, and then on top of that, too, we get some information in terms of just some of the other creatures and different things like that that are in the world, like the primals that are in the world, which mm-hmm. is, again, super interesting there. You're getting creatures like the the spin that they put on dragons as well is different than the normal fare as well because you have your normal dragons but then we have the dragons that have also been altered by the gems and then that creates a, a, almost like a different faction of dragons and then you have the freaking my favorites as i've said the shrunken <laughs> shrunken are my freaking favorite now here he is <laughs> this underground faction okay and you'll be able to play them have freaking shrunken decks and i i I, I will have one, and it'll be powerful. <laughs> it'll be awesome. But here's these sentient mushrooms, fungal-type things, and they've been enslaved by the shin hair. So the shin hair use them for all manner of things. They work them till they die. They use them as quivers and just stick their bows, their arrows in them. And like, there's one of them. If you look at the hero, if you look at his card, it's an archer and his quiver is like this shroomkin beside him. That's on a chain. And it's got his, his arrows are all sticking out of him. He just grabs an arrow from the mushroom and shoots. So here are these mushrooms that have been enslaved by the shin hair, but they don't know enough to actually revolt. They just kind of, that's their life. They don't know anything else. So they are slaves to the shin hair. Dude, just that alone is freaking awesome. Here you're showing that you care about the story behind everything in this game if you're going to take that much time for the mushroom people <laughs> so tristan which one are you looking forward to playing the most oh definitely the bunnies my bunny will take over your mushroom deck we'll see about that we will see yep. about that and it's crazy how they do the factions too like i when i heard about the shin hair i was not expecting them to be like the underground necrotic but then you see this necrotic bunny thing shooting purple lightning and it is amazing yeah the bunnies and war- warlocks are kind of cool <laughs> yeah okay. a little, little creepy though <laughs> well, please that's the least of the creepiness that we've seen in this game <laughs> okay moving on from there well let's talk about the classes in the game as well vince go ahead so yes when you're playing in pve uh, for PvP, you have different champions, which we'll again come back to. You have you can choose any race class combination in the game. So of the eight races, you have six classes, which gives a wealth of options. Uh, the six classes, as we know right now, are warrior, mage, rogue, 
ranger, cleric, and warlock. Now, we actually haven't seen too much uh, expansion upon that because they're really focusing on getting you know the actual card game functioning first. And they said PVE is definitely well into development, but not far along enough to really show off too much. But through my you know research, I actually found out that it's not like in another game where you know if you're an orc mage or an elf mage, they both play basically exactly the same. They just have you know different visuals. It looks like uh, definitely lore-wise and possibly gameplay-wise that the different race-class combinations are actually going to play completely differently. And we can definitely see that through uh, like how you're going to be leveling up. Each race-class combination has its own special artwork, which is so cool because as they show, as your character levels up, the artwork on the card oh, levels yeah. up. Yeah. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> Again, because this is going to be a digital only TCG, there's things that they're going to be able to do with this that you simply would not be able to do with a traditional TCG. And that's why, despite the fact that they've done both digital and actual hold-in-your-hand cards, they have said that for Hex, it will never come to a physical format because it would cripple the game. And Mm -hmm. here's something where, again, your hero is leveling, but it's going to change in appearance as you're playing in, in some cases, which we'll get to later as well. As you play a card, eventually it'll change into a foil version permanently of that card. Again, something you'd never be able to do with a traditional TCG that you'll be able to do with this. Yeah. So to look at some of the differences, I actually found different classifications for all eight races for the Warlock class, which is pretty cool. As I say, the the human warlocks, they consult with the spirits of the fallen champions. So they're kind of like uh, psychic mediums. But what makes it really cool is the spirits of the fallen champions are the ones whose bodies are being used by the necrotic. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas uh, the coyotal are like your, your shaman type where they commune with the ancestral spirits, kind of similar to humans, but lore-wise in a very different way. The elves are really nifty because you know the elves in the game, they're your nature elves and stuff. But the elven warlocks realize that you know death is as much a part of the natural cycle as life is. So they use like the energy from the decaying you know, life uh, around them to animate familiars and stuff like make trees walk. And they, they take that death and build it into life. Whereas the orcs, uh, the orc warlocks actually manage the arena. They're the ones who set up the fights because, as I said, the orc gladiators, the blood that's spilled in the arena is what you know feeds their, their mountain god. So that's what the, the warlocks here are very blood magic focused, even to the point where if there's not enough blood going on in the arena, they'll find another source. <laughs> The dwarves are freaking nuts. They carry these cauldrons of molten metal around on their back. And the cauldrons are basically their their sacrificial altars, if you will. They toss, you know, objects of power or people just into the cauldron on their back and let them burn away for, <laughs> for their sacrifices. And over their time of exposure, they can actually bathe themselves in the cauldron and withstand the forge or the, withstand the heat, which makes the dwarven warlocks very useful in the forges because they can actually enter the forge. So you take that whole dwarven, you know, building aspect that's so important to that race in many types of, uh, of fantasy and, 
having the warlocks put this really magical spiritual spin onto it is freaking great. And of course, the necrotic warlocks are exactly what you'd expect. They command the hordes of the dead, summon skeletons, summon zombies, you know, summon old kings. The shin hair, <laughs> I love it. As they say, the shin hair have very short lifespans because, well, they're rabbits. And 90% of their race is basically just bred to be cannon fodder, either on the battlefield or in the shin hair alchemist rituals, where the only members of the shin hair race that have an extended lifespan are the uh, emperor and his concubines. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's the shin hair alchemist's job, which through their sacrifices to extend the lifespan of the emperor. And then finally, you have the Venon, who are basically your religious fanatics. They're the Inquisition of the Venon, and it's their job to hunt down heretics. Now, of course, to the Venon, anything that's not a Venon is considered a heretic, regardless of what they believe in. <laughs> and they also hunt down, you know, the the uh, the fringe members of their own society. And they don't they don't just kill you. They they actually relish in the torture of the of their foes. And it's that that pain and that agony that fuels their version of the magic. So just right there with one class across the eight races, there's so much lore, so much story and so much fun to be had in this game. What's what's cool, too, is when you're looking at that now, again, one of the things that they've said over and over again is how much they want you to feel like you have a lot of control over what your experience in the game is. So that's why they're giving you so many choices like this. But on top of that, like your champion is going to be able to wear armor as well. And each of those armors has a drastic effect in how it changes your character. There, there are so many things that are going to make it so that you can have, it, you can go up against, you know, dwarf deck after dwarf deck after dwarf deck, and it's never going to feel like the same experience each time. And I mean, what you were just saying there is just one example. Like, it's just crazy the variety that we're going to be having. Mm-hmm. Okay, Tristan, you were the you were check, checking into the champions. This is we actually haven't had a ton of information about various champions. However, there was just an update last week, and we were graced <laughs> with all of these <laughs> underworld the PvP champions. I'll let you talk about these. Yeah, they all look awesome. My favorite ones are probably the bunny still, the shin hair. <laughs> There's well, no way anything else can compare to them after this, though. Okay, well, go ahead and talk about a little bit about each of them. You can start off with the dwarf ones that we have here, too. The first one, it's a dwarf ranger. For its special ability, is actually really good for drawing a card. It takes six charges, so it takes a while, but being able to just draw a card whenever you need one and bring it into the battlefield, that could turn from something really bad to something really good really fast. Yeah, the one that I was the most interested for the dwarfs was actually um, Farnry, but that's because of how it's going to work with artifacts as well, because as you would expect, a dwarf deck with artifacts, the two work go hand-in-hand kind of thing. Um, That one there actually, for five charges, deals damage to target troop equal to the highest cost among artifacts you control. That's a crazy amount of DPS that you could be handing out just from <laughs> that. It was what we saw in that one live stream where the dude had like 14 artifacts yeah. to play at once. Yeah. Yeah. 
And for the like 1011, the hex engine thing, you could be doing instant kill to whatever you want to kill. Yeah. Okay, go ahead with some of the other ones that you really liked. One of the necrotic ones that's awesome looking. It's this purple glowing human thing. It's a warlock, and the target troop gets life drain this turn. So if you get a even just 4-4 four, four enemy or character you want, the attack, you could be getting up your health so fast. Yeah. And then what was Evans? I said especially, you know, since it only takes two charges, you can activate that very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which was your favorite of the bunnies, Kiddo? Favorite artwork is Jeff, definitely the Monika Shin. It's the ranger with his yeah. little quiver shroomkin thing. <laughs> it is so cool looking. It's the one that you've already seen on the video. Yeah. You create a battle hopper and put it into play. But yeah. the my favorite actual ability is Bunjitsu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this crazy skull-holding electric demon bunny. And it's, Never thought you'd hear those words put together. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But for four charges, you exhaust two troops you control, and they turn into an abomination together. With their strength equal to their combined strength and their defense equal to their combined defense. That's going to be nuts. Oh, like, yeah. Picture that over the course of a couple rounds and you have got insanely overpowered abominations. Especially because they showed off that one card. I forget what it was. But every time you sacrifice a bunny, it was getting plus one, plus one. Oh, yeah. So we merge two of those together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's exponential. The, the amount that you'll get. And you can merge abominations together. So if you have a even just <laughs> one one, then a one one, then that's a two two. Then another one one. And after ten, eleven turns, you're gonna have a insane character. Yeah. Now going from there though, what they did as well is they're putting mercenaries into the game. Now, basically, mercenaries are going to allow you to just kind of play around with a different type of class without actually greatly affecting everything your deck. And it's it's not like it's a true faction per se, because some of these mercenaries are as silly as the cardboard samurai from Penny Arcade. Uh, Tristan, you looked into this as well, too. You found a bunch of the uh, the mercenaries. I found them all, actually. But... The Cardboard Tube Samurai, I love the abilities he gets and the look of it. But you start, one of the passive abilities is you start each game with a card called Path Through Oblivion, which destroys all opposing troops instantly. So if you're in trouble, you can put down that, then just put on the hurt and do tons <laughs> of damage. <laughs> With your cardboard tube, so. Yes. And then one of the ones that we are getting thanks to the um, the Kickstarter as well is the Shroomkin one. Move. <laughs> which I love. Go ahead and talk about that one. It's insane <laughs> if you get its special ability to work. The just normal charge ability is you 
create a Shroomkin 1-1 and play into play for three charges. But it gains a permanent double the chances of moves passive abilities. Which are, when you play a card, you have a 25% chance of gaining three health. So once you have a little Shroomkin, you have a 50% chance of getting three health every turn. Making you damn near impossible to kill. Which is amazing. Then at the start of your turn, you have a 10% chance of creating two wild resources and putting them into play for your character that you can use. It's permanent. Yeah. The, uh, I like the Beeble one as well, which is going to be great for artifact decks. That one there has uh, a bunch of insanely cool bonuses too, and that was another bonus from the a stretch goal from Kickstarter as well. You know, if yeah. I had known about that mushroom earlier, I probably would have bumped up my tier. Yeah, just so I could get <laughs> yeah it's best thing though is the one percent chance every at the start of every turn you have a one percent chance of creating the mustachioed gang. Yes, <laughs> it's a. It's like this gang of mushrooms. With mustaches. They are amazing. They are. I actually have them all up here. I love them that much. They're actually very powerful, too. Like, get yourself a, a deck full of them. Holy crap in hell, those mushrooms are powerful. When this troop attacks or blocks, it gets permanent plus two attack plus nine defense. defense. <laughs> permanent my God, like think of that in terms of three turns down the road, you know, this thing's going to have 27 additional defense. It's a good thing. These are PVE only. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of your turn, gain two health for each troop in play. So it's insane. At the start of your turn, put a random card from opposing champion's hand into your hand. So when someone does the, oh, you really want this card, you can do, yeah, I, I really do. And just take it from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one there was introduced at the night level. Dude, 15 bucks, you could have had that. I know. I'm not trading you. I, I'm, I'm a little upset now. Yeah. <laughs> Why couldn't we have done this episode before the Kickstarter ended? <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the other favorites that you had, kiddo, for mercenaries? For mercenaries, it's definitely the cardboard tube and the move are my favorite too. But actually, the one other ability, not ability really, but the power the cardboard tube samurai has is at the start of the game, you put Tonkatsu into play. I hope that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, that's but, from the strip. Yeah. If damage would be dealt to this troop, it's dealt to your champion instead. At the end of the game, if this troop is in play, you earn 10% more gold. So I don't know how exactly gold works, but 10% more gold from every game you play PvE, that is insane. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Again, and there's each of the mercenaries are being done in such a way that they offer quite a different play style again than what you would get from the traditional champions and you're going to be able to play around with that. And that's what I love. It's going to be they're They're not tying you back now. Granted, of course, again, this is for PVE and it's meant to make you feel like you're overpowered. That's the joy of playing a game. When you feel like you are a badass, 
And yet it's not breaking the game because it's only the PVE stuff. You're supposed to feel like that. And they understand that. And so when they're putting these characters in that you're looking at these cards thinking, good God, I can't wait to play this card and be able to do that. Well, there you have it. Was there any other ones that you saw, Vince, that you were particularly enamored with? I really like the the dwarf, the Bergamot Ebonrock. Just I mean, the artwork oh, is yeah. cool Jeez, yeah. as can be. But the amount of his powers, like with all the stuff he has going around artifacts, like being able to charge his champion just by, you know, revealing 10 random cards and seeing how many of them are artifacts right off the start. You can have a huge lead going, but it, it, I just love the artwork. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very comic book looking character. Yeah. Yeah. No, just nuts. Now let's move on to some gameplay. Because like I said, this is going to be the first MMO TCG and they've got people here working on this that have worked on Warcraft. They've got people working on this that are developing the best AI TCG AI that we will ever seen because the, the people working on this have worked on seven up until that point, different TCGs. Um, so there's a lot of things that we're going to be seeing here that these aren't just noobs that came up with a good idea and they're putting this in. Like Chris Woods, who worked on the AI. Again, he's worked on seven TCGs. The man knows what he's doing. Kevin Jordan. Chris Woods worked, is going to be the most hated guy. Yeah, really. So <laughs> uh, worked on Warcraft. He's in charge on different aspects of the MMO and stuff. Like there's a lot of really intelligent people that they brought in for this. So there's things that they're bringing in like um, the, the, the guild you're going to be able to have a fully formed guild and not just that, but you're going to be able to do guild tournaments. You're going to be able to do guild decks or that you put decks aside that you ask guild members to try out for you. And then you can tweak it from there. Tristan, you actually read up a little bit on that as well. Yeah. The guild decks, it's a sort of try before you buy sort of thing that you can do. And you can put on ratings and notes on what you think about it. But that person can just put in a random deck that they want, that they aren't using at this time. And someone else from the guild like you can pick it up and use it against another guild member. And to me, that's something that's phenomenal. Because again, it's giving you the opportunity to mess around with a deck that's not yours. Now, that has a dual bonuses, of course. It's going to help the guy who made the deck so that it's tweaked to the best that it can be, taking feedback from the people that you respect in your guild. But then on top of that, it's making it so that you can decide, okay, yeah, I'd like to make something like this too. I'm going to have to go hunt these cards and see if I can build one of these as well with whatever changes that you want. And in terms of hunting, well, it's not just to go and buy boosters and hope to get it. There's going to be a freaking auction house in this game. And because Cryptozoic understands that they should not have a hand in that pot, they're not going to be taking any of the money from there. The auction house will be for the gamers. So you're going to be able to put your cards up and sell them so that you can buy other cards and you're going to be able to go and buy whatever card that you would like. Now, on top of that, because of how the cards work themselves, because again, it's a, a digital TCG, there's going to be each card is going to have a history. And that history is going to be recorded in what they're calling the double back. So on 
the when you you look at the back of the card, but the the second back of the card, you're going to get the history of the card. You're going to get all of the achievements listed on the back of the card that they have that you've won using that card in a deck. Different whatever it is that you've won. There's going to be like if you if you complete all three achievements of a certain type or whatever, it, it can unlock an extended art version of the card as well, which unlocks it permanently that you now have for that card. There's also going to be badges awarded for winning different tournaments and different things that'll appear in some cases as trophies on the back of the card. And then all the statistics and things like that, there's going to be experience (laughs) for each card so that as the experience is filled from using the card in decks and whatnot, you can unlock a foil, permanent foil version of the card. And so as you are, as a card is played, if it's in a deck of someone who knows what they're doing and they unlock a crap load of things and whatnot, it can then be put on the auction house and none of that gets stripped away. That history remains and you can buy this quote unquote winning card kind of thing on the auction house for your deck. That's freaking phenomenal. <laughs> like that, that, that kind of innovation is something that we just simply have not seen up till now. Because it's not possible. Well, no, it has been possible. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been possible. In the but... digital sense. Yeah. But nobody's done it. I mean, <laughs> if you look at Magic the Gathering, and I love Magic the Gathering. Let's put that out there right from now. But there has not been this kind of innovation in Magic the Gathering in forever. Mm-hmm. So. You have any idea how much I hate this feature? Why? Because you know how much of an achievement hunter I yeah, am. Really, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be happy until every card has extended art foil. Yeah. Well, this is, again, just one of the few things that they're putting into the game in terms of, of, uh, of the, the MMO aspects. There's also going to be dungeons and raids, and we're going to get into that in a little bit as well. There's, they're separating the PvE and the PvP so that some decks you'll use for PvP only and some for PvE. Now, they will be having what they're calling Wild West Bracket PvP tournaments where they'll actually allow PvE decks, and I'm freaking looking forward to that. That's going to be a blast. You can have the MOOF deck? Yes. (laughs) I will. I will. Um, But there's, uh, like I said, a lot of things that are being introduced here MMO-wise. So you're going to have different, like, hubs where you can go and get quests and whatnot. They showed off some of that at E3, but because they're still in pre-alpha, there's still a lot that is pending. But those kind of exploration parts really appeal to me. The, the, The fact that I'll be able to bounce around and go and look for for trouble somewhere and have new experiences based on where I land makes it a lot more interesting than just hitting play, you know, in a random duel against somebody. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that as well, like I said, there's going to be some different dungeons and raids. Now, Vince, you looked into this a little bit more. There's, we, we got some information on some of them. I don't know which ones you read up on, but I know there's a couple I really freaking can't <laughs> wait to play. What have you got? Well, as they say, all of the PVE questing uh, 
gameplay in Hex is going to be handled through the dungeons. Now, they're not all actual dungeons, of course. That's just kind of a catch-all name, you know, instances, whatever you want to refer to them as. And dungeons will have be able to you play as one through three players. Uh, and, of course, uh, that's a raid. A raid is three players. <laughs> so that's I like that, that right there. Yeah, we, you know, I'd have to herd cats of getting, you know, 20 people online at the same time. And those aren't all necessarily going to be actual human players. There are going to be even some dungeons where you're going to be given AI companions that are important to the story that you're going to be able to play through that with, which sounds so much fun. Yeah, no kidding. So what's cool is you enter the dungeon and if you want to, you can just you know make a beeline straight for the boss and get your loot. But there's branching paths. There's exploration. You have you're going to have choices you can make actually as you're questing through the dungeon. You know, should you help, you know, this faction or should you help that faction? You know, should you rescue the guy that's trapped in a cage or leave him there? And those choices are going to affect how the rest of that dungeon plays out and even future storylines. Which Crazy. that's yeah, I mean that's that that's the one thing that we loved so much about like the old Republic that really no other MMO had done or has done, and they're doing it in the friggin' card game. <laughs> but what's cool is with those branching paths and all those choices, every time you win an encounter, every time you bypass a trap, or every time you solve a puzzle, you gain momentum, and the more momentum you have when you kill the final boss increases the rarity of your final reward. So you can go from getting, you know, a card and, you know, a, a little gem to getting artifacts and equipment and just all kinds of crazy stuff if you gain enough momentum. However, every time you fail one of those events, you receive a death mark. And if you get three death marks, you're booted out of the dungeon to start all over again. So there's this great risk versus reward factor that I absolutely love. I, I, I know there's, I can already see po- points where I'm going to be sitting there at two death marks, but I'm like, I really <laughs> want to, you know, go f- fight this one guy. <laughs> and knowing me, I'm going to fail. <laughs> the thing that I like too is how they talked about, like what you were saying, some of the choices that you make have an impact. Did you read up on the Kraken's Lair? I didn't read the Kraken's Lair. I read up on a couple others. But okay, yeah, so go ahead. The Kraken Lair is insane. I mean, the story behind it, is phenomenal. I'll talk about it. Actually, I may as well just say that. Um, so for the Kraken's Lair, basically there's a Kraken in the water. The mayor has basically imposed a, nobody goes into the water and nobody goes near there until we settle this. Now what has happened is that the Kraken has allied with a coven of sea hags and these things are on an island off the coast of uh, Portsmere, which is where the, this all the people are and they through evil magic have basically entranced all the people in that town so when you show up you come across the people first who are now your enemy but you're there to help them because they've been enslaved now in this example that the guy uh, chris woods talks about this he was saying how like as soon as he started one of the characters that he comes up against is the mayor Okay, so now you're fighting against the mayor who's just a troop. He's the human in a troop, and he can't block. He's a simple zero one. His defense is one. He's got no attack, but he gives other humans plus one, plus one. Again, not bad, but all right. But the important part here is the flavor text. Again, lower matters in this game, not just to the lore of the game, 
But to gameplay, the flavor text here is Mayor Galway is a born leader and his death would be irrecoverable loss to the city. So depending on how he, if you kill him or not, that will have an impact later on on when you're dealing with other NPCs as you get deeper into the game. They'll either make it harder or easier for you if you let the mayor live and just worked around him. Yeah, like, so that's if you're freaking fighting nuts. The, yeah, if you're fighting the boss that has like one health point left and you can put down this AoE ability, it'll kill him. So you don't know if you want to kill the boss or wait. And find out another way. And then the other thing that was cool about this one is that as you are going towards the the final boss, like you said, there's different paths you can take to try to figure different things and to gain momentum and whatnot. Well, you fight tentacles. You'll fight tentacles along the way. So you're not fighting the Kraken yet. You're just fighting tentacles. The thing here to keep in mind, though, is that any creatures of yours, any troops that die in these encounters are taken out of your deck until the end of the dungeon. So when you go up against the final Kraken, you don't have any of the troops that have died as you've made your way towards there. You'll get them back after the dungeon's done, of course, but until then, they're gone. (laughs) You lost them. Tentacle killed them. So it makes sense that you can't use it again. Dude! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome it's gonna be awesome but imagine putting down your like best character then it dies that's the risk you stuck. take that's the risk you take and then did you look at the actual kraken card it's a legendary card and for three you create a kraken's tentacle and put it into play and you can exhaust any number of tentacles you control to gain control of target troop with costs less than the number of tentacles exhausted this way. And it's an 8-8. Eight, eight. <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> going to talk about the equipment you can put on this, which is freaking crazy. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, like, and this is just one of the dungeons that they're putting in there. So what are some of the other ones that you read up on? Yeah, a couple of the other ones I saw uh, were actually faction-specific. Yeah. Uh, There's one called the Wild Heist, which is exclusive to the Underworld characters, where the dwarves are making this, you know, tinker around with this fancy little healing bot. But they can't quite get it to work right because they need pure wild magic, which quite simply doesn't exist in the Underworld. So they decide the best way to get this is to go on a raid in elven territory. (laughs) So what's cool is you have, <laughs> I'm already envisioning Monaco <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they even say the best way for the dwarves to get in is to dig straight up through the ground and pop up in the middle of elven territory, nab this thing and try to get out alive. <laughs> That sounds so fun because I can already you – know, they didn't really go into the details, but I can see like the side objectives. But each time you're going to have more elves on you <laughs> chasing after you on your way out. 
And they also showed the ambush, which is exclusive to the Ardent, where an orc high cleric has been kidnapped by the Venon and he's being taken to the capital city. Well, as I already mentioned, the Venon hate the orcs, so he's probably going to be tried, tortured, and if he's lucky, executed. So you have to go rescue him. So they send an orc scout along with you. His name is Tezozo. And again, artwork, he's an orc ninja. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I would ever in my life see an orc ninja, but they pulled it off. And it, they're, as they're talking about this one, they're like, Tezozo has his own mission objectives that might not always coincide with yours. So, again, when you have those branching paths and those decisions you're going to make, eventually are you going to have to fight this orc or is he just going to bail on you or all these interesting options that they're opening up here? Yeah. Tristan, did you read up on any that really interested you? Not really. The Kraken's gold thing is awesome. But yeah. other than that, I didn't see too much, too many others. I actually, one of the other ones that I'm very interested in doing is the one that I was talking about earlier, and it's the Junkyard Dog one. So you have this faction of dogs that are basically, they they run the... It's the enormous, they call the enormous junkyard known as the Great Machine Graveyard. So it's basically bits of broken robots and all kinds of trash and everything. And you're going up against these insane freaking dogs. They look like, you know, anthropomorphized pit bulls kind of thing. (laughs) And you're going up against this, but you're also going to be fighting these various scrapped together robots and things along the way it looks like a crap ton of fun yeah and the different places each little place you go is named so it goes from the crusher to the big magnety thing (laughs) (laughs) i don't know which one's more dangerous but yeah so i mean and when you're looking at it in terms of a raid encounter then you can have, again, you and a couple of buddies going through all of these together and fighting them off. And like it, these are only a, a few of the examples. We've actually heard in different uh, uh, interviews that they've given some of some of these raid dungeons and raid encounters are going to be so unbelievably unique in gameplay just because it's a digital tcg so they can do that kind of stuff they can mess with your deck they can mess with your cards they could just give it back to you later or they can change it permanently if they want as well and because it's an mmo and because it's in the hands of somebody who knows how to design an mmo i mean we're getting such unique gameplay experiences for the pve and what's great is they've said that an average raid is going to take about two to three hours to clear so there's a reason none of us raid in MMOs, and that's just because you know we like have to, having lives of you not having to wait for 15 people to get together, not having to clear out you know five six hour block in your evening for, to deal with all this. I can definitely see getting two friends together and just in a couple hours actually accomplishing something, which yeah. is so important to me. Or dying trying, <laughs> one or the other. Okay, you're not in the raid. <laughs> But yeah, and because again, and see, I can't stress this enough, and and I really hope that everything that's in, or I should say all the functionality that's in the PC 
and Mac versions will be on the tablets as well because I want to be do, able to do everything on the iPad that I would otherwise on the, the PC. And I should. You should be able to put it all in there because we've seen just how much they can do. So it, it's quite possible. I mean, there's freaking MMOs on the iPad and there are TCGs, so they can put all that in. But anyways, what I'm getting at is, like, you're talking about this. I can easily see myself putting in two to three hours in an evening with my iPad on my lap going through this stuff. And there's going to be chat as well. Now, granted, they didn't say anything about voice chat yet, so who knows whether that'll be implemented. But, I mean, you can run Skype while you're running other applications on an iPad anyways. So you could shoot the breeze with your buddies sitting on the couch and run through a raid and... We'll be doing that. <laughs> we will be doing this a lot because so by this time I next year, Internet Dragons TV will exclusively be yeah. a YouTube channel. <laughs> it's possible. It is possible. Okay, let's move on to some of the other. Or were you done? Was there anything else you want no, to talk I, about? I, I that's think good. That, that's that, that's, that's lots. Yeah. Um, again, staying with the MMO type aspects and whatnot. What they're also introducing is equipment and gems, socketable. Cards, socketable cards. <laughs> this is how, there's actually a Penny Arcade comic. I'll have to find it and I'll link it in the show notes. There's actually a Penny Arcade comic where they talk about that, the socketable cards, uh, and that he's basically the spawn of Satan <laughs> because of this. Uh, but all of your champions and, and other cards as well, but your champions and your mercenaries are going to have slots where you can equip various equipment, weapons, trinkets, and whatnot. Um, there's, there's four types of rarity to those equipment slots as well. So you can get, you know, the, the, in the same way as the cards, your, your common all the way to your legendary equipment. And when you're looking at the difference that is, it makes, just as a, an example here, the, there's a vampire king card, which is so unbelievably overpowered. It, I, I drool just looking at this card. And, and once again, the art. Oh, my God. This ain't no freaking Twilight Sparkly Vampire. This is vampires like they're supposed to be. <laughs> and this dude, he's a 3-3. Three, three. He's a troop. He has flight. And his ability is when an opposing troop dies, if this troop is in play, transform that troop into a vampire and put it into play under your control. Let that sink in. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> in no time flat, every creature you've destroyed on your opponent's side of the table is now on your side as a vampire. Now, as if that's not good enough, you can put equipment on this bastard. He's got a night cane that he can equip that's a rare equipment card. Vampires you control have life drain. So now they just ain't dying either. So, I mean, these bastards are going to be draining life from everyone that they attack. And then as more die, they come back on your side as vampires with life drain. And then he also has a legendary trinket, and it's the Spellblood Chalice. You can sacrifice a troop, which if you play this guy well, you'll have a number of them that you can sacrifice. And you can put an action from your graveyard into your hand. So once again, here is a deck much like the Necro decks that we're seeing in Duel of Champions where they're so maddening to play against because they can just at will take whatever card they want out of their graveyards. Crazy. It's freaking nuts. 
And it's crazy how different the equipment goes. For one of the cards, it's the Kraken Guard Mariner. It's just a common card. But if you get the legendary item for it, you can search your deck for the Kraken and put it into play from this little common card you find. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, like I was saying, they are also putting in gems. Now, the way that the gems are going to be working is that they are basically going to be giving you different bonuses based on what type of gem you use. And the gems are basically going to be separated in the same way that your mana is going to be separated in the game where you're, you have wild blood, ruby, diamond, and sapphire. So your gems are going to be separated like that as well. And then what happens from there is that you have various levels of, I don't want to say strength, but you have major and minors of each of these. So just as an example for, we'll look at ruby. You have a minor gem that can give you speed, and then you have another minor one that this troop gets plus one, plus zero this turn. And then you have the majors where when this troop deals damage to a champion, that champion loses a resource point. That's insanely game-changing right there. And then you have another major, which is plus one, plus zero, and swift strike. So each of these gems, and that's just one of them, will have a profound impact in how your cards play and how your deck plays at whole, once again, creating that much more personality to your deck in terms of how you want it to play ultimately. I, I'm really interested in seeing, you know, how the equipment decisions are going to work. Because we've always, we've all been in that situation where you're sitting there looking at two pairs of boots and you're like, do I want an extra 10 strength or do I want an extra 50 HP? But for this, like all the equipments have different effects on different cards. And you're like, well, do I want to buff up my, you know, my rabbit samurai or would I rather have, you know, extra, you know, cannon fodder bunnies and stuff like that. And then when they even bring in like the, the set bonuses, did you see that one set bonus they showed off? Which one? The, uh, the, the fire, the overcharge. Yes. Where they're talking about, you'll have all this equipment that creates a set bonus and they all synergize together. Like they say, when you have this one uh, piece of equipment equipped, you can create uh, burn spells and shuffle them into your deck. But when you play a burn spell, it does extra damage if you also have the gloves. But if you have the entire set, you get a special card that allows you to copy actions. So it just, it all synergizes together. The cards work together. And then they give you this bonus that just takes it completely over the top. And adds cards to your deck. The bonuses, some of these bonuses are actually adding cards to your deck. It's not just changing that one card. It's adding crap to your deck on top of that. It's, you know, in in any other MMO, your equipment very, very rarely is going to change the way you play your game. It's just going to, you know, make your axe a little stronger, stuff like that. But every single piece of equipment in this game is going to drastically change the way you play the game. Oh, yeah. And the thing that I like as well, too, which is what they said as well, is that... They're doing this also because they understand that we're going to get attached to some of these cards. And now, if you've never played a TCG, that statement is going to sound incredibly nerdish to you. And that's cool. I'm all right with that. Hell, I'm doing a podcast with the massive nerd himself. So, but it's true. I still remember and I still own some of the Magic the Gathering cards that... You just love playing them so much. And it's not just always because 
it's insanely overpowered or whatever. It's because of... It's usually because they're insanely overpowered. Well, yeah, but it's because of how it works with another card or or, or a combination that you can do or just something that's fun with it kind of thing. So this here, by allowing you to have armor that you can put on it, weapons that you can put on it, gems that you can put in it. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have to get rid of that card when other better cards come out in later sets or whatever. You can just improve upon this one. And it gives you that urge to hunt for those sets, those armor sets, to hunt for different gems so that you can do it. I mean, they show as an example the Master Beast Rider. Okay, so here's this troop. It's an elf ranger. It's a 2-2. And then you don't have to go too much in terms of what it can do and not. But just to look at the gems that they can slap into it, looking at the rare sapphire gem that they've got into it, you can play this troop anytime you could play a quick action. Now, again, if you don't know much about TCGs, that basically means that this sucker can be put in as a um, like an interrupt when somebody else plays something. So you don't have a creature card up and all of a sudden you're not sure if he's going to attack you or if he's going to get through. Or maybe you have some defense that you were banking on, but your opponent destroyed them with an instant fire spell or whatever. Your hero is now can be attacked, game over, except now you can play another creature card, which otherwise you wouldn't be able to, to block whatever it is that he brings through. That's a game changer. And now that one card that you were, that you cared so much about that was a favorite card has got so much more functionality that you don't want to get rid of it because it's freaking awesome now. (laughs) So talking about some of our favorite cards of interest then, Tristan, actually you went through all of the available cards in various databases and whatnot and saw a crap load of awesome stuff. Yeah, I had up and every time I saw an awesome card, I made a new tab. Then I looked through and I had 200 tabs. <laughs> That's my boy. And I had to do a, hmm. <laughs> right now, I still have about 50 tabs. I'm just going to have to choose. All right. Well, but, how about you talk about some of your favorites? Wow. There are two. That for a shin hair deck, wow. They would be Awesome. One of them is called the Hallowed Fields. When non-spirit troop you control is destroyed, transform it into a spirit and put it into play under your control. A spirit is a 1-1 enemy with flight. So all of your battle hoppers turn into 1-1 with flying so that no one can hurt them. And this continues. So, and, insane, (laughs) two things they have. One of the things is a legendary. When an opposing non-spirit troop is destroyed, transform it into a spirit and put it into play under your control. So every time one of them dies, you get a character. Every time one of your character dies, you get a character. So this is very much like the vampire decked only with spirits. Yeah. Which makes it insane. The final insane thing. One of the equipment you can have is when you play this card, transform all troops in your graveyard into spirit troops and put them into play under your control. <laughs> oh my god. So for a bunny, you sacrifice all your people, then you bring them all back. As flyers. 
Yeah. GG. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice not good knowing enough. you, buddy. <laughs> that's not good enough. There's a card that could either win, I've already talked to you about, could either win you the game or lose you the game instantly. It's called a trial of faith. So, but it's just insane. When this card, when this constant enters play, void all cards you control and all cards in your hand. At the start of your turn, add a faith counter to this constant. Then, if it has three or more faith counters, remove all counters from it, sacrifice it. If you do this, transform each card voided with this constant into an angel and put it into play. An angel is a 5-5 flight. So you do the Howl of Fields with all your killed bunny guys. So then you have maybe 10 or, if it's endgame, a lot more. You play this in four turns, you'll have 10 5-5 flight characters. <laughs> Then you say bye. Yeah. And you win. <laughs> <laughs> it's just insane. That's some of the cards. I was flipping through, and instead of just clicking on the card and going to the next, I was going from page to the next. But some of the cards are in wrong order. So one of the ones I found is Booby Trap. And the main card, you play it, and in the enemy deck, you put five Booby Traps. No, four. Each one does five damage. So if the target player picks up a card and it's there, they take five damage. If that card is taken out of the deck, so say you put something down and they have to put the top five cards of their deck into their graveyard, if it's put into the graveyard, they still take five damage. If it's voided, they still take five damage. It's crazy, but I saw the booby card first. So it's when you pick this up, you take five damage. Not a card you would really want in your deck very much. <laughs> what about you, Vince? You find anything that really struck your fancy? There is one that I I can't stop thinking about. It's called the Sliver of the Immortal Spear. It's an artifact card. It costs uh, two mana to play. And its special ability is you exhaust it and pay zero health. Okay. And when you do that, you create another sliver of the Immortal Spear and shuffle it into your deck. Then permanently increase the health you pay to use that power by one. So you can continue using this effect each time paying more and more health, but gaining more of those slivers in your deck that you have an opportunity to then draw and play. Once you have five slivers of the Immortal Spear on the battleground, you can exhaust all five of them to deal 5,000 damage to target champion, essentially winning the game in one shot. <laughs> yeah, I've ar- that's what I have on my page right now. It's- <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's the stuff like that, that that they keep saying can 
only be done digitally. Like yeah. you could not conceivably really like you could probably do that with an actual physical date game, you know, assuming you had enough, you know, side cards and stuff you could throw in there and counters. And, you know, by the time you're finished actually playing it, you don't want to play the game <laughs> anymore. But it's that cool stuff that that's digital exclusive, like the one thing, not any specific card, but it's a, a type of card that I know right now I'm going to build a deck around and it's the escalation. Where, like, let's say, you know, it's a fireball spell. Deals two damage to target creature. But then it has escalation, which means you shuffle that card back into your deck. It doesn't even go into the graveyard. And it doubles the attack value. Not just of that card, but of every copy of that card you own. So next time you draw it, it does four damage. Next time you draw it, it does eight damage. I've seen stuff like that with life gain, where it's, you know, gain five health with escalation. So next time you gain 10 health. Next time you gain 20 health. <laughs> that, might even, that might even at some point equal the 5,000 damage from the <laughs> Spear. But I, it's, it's such a cool concept. I just want to, I'd want to try building a deck that focuses almost exclusively on escalation and stuff like that just to see how it's going to work out. For the Immortal Spear, I actually have that open. And beside it, I have the Doppel Gadget, which is at the start of your turn, you may create a copy of another non-shape-shifting artifact you control and put it into play. <laughs> so with that, within five turns, you can do 5,000 damage to the enemy. Man. I'm playing Dwarf. Well, yeah. here's another card for, again, dwarfs, then, is Yurig the Robomancer. And it's a dwarf warrior troop. And at the start of your turn, you create a warbot. Now, this troop gets plus two, plus two for each artifact you control. So, think again. Here's a, You can create tons of artifacts. You're going to be insanely powerful. And then, on top of that, there's, again, with the you can have the equipment on these guys. There's a legendary headgear that you can put on him wherein artifact troops you control have invincible while Yurig has 10 or more attack, which, which is, is really not that hard. Yeah. Seriously, dwarven artifact <laughs> decks are going to be crazy powerful, which is it's too bad because there was um, the match not that long ago that they had, which was the dwarven deck against the what was it again? I can't I think remember. It was the Shin Hair? It, was it? I didn't think it was the Shin Hair. I thought it was something else because it was two decks we hadn't seen. But the orc? guy who played the dwarven was deck did. What's that? Was it an orc? Honestly, I don't remember. And I know I think it was the 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 life gain deck, but he did not yeah, do a whatever. good job with it at all. And it should have done a lot better because holy crap and hell, some of the cards we're seeing for that are just nuts. And then the dragon cards are living up to their name. This isn't just like dragon cards that you see in Magic: The Gathering that are fairly common. Whatever. Holy crap in hell. Yurzat Naz is a dragon troop. It's a unique one who's got flight. It's a 5-5. Five, five. He's a legendary. And when he or another troop enters play under your control, target champion buries cards from the top of their deck equal to the cost of that troop. And then whenever he deals combat damage to a champion, you may put target troop from that champion's graveyard into play under your control insane and then he can have a the gaze of the dragon equipment which put all buried troops into play instead wow i didn't notice that before yeah or you can bury an additional card for each um 
of a ruby that you have, which is the legendary mantle that he can have. Wow. Absolutely crazy. Tristan, was there any other ones that you wanted to talk about? Two. Go the for it. The first is the dragon, the other thing, the wrath of Zakir. It's you become a dragon. That's it special. So, <laughs> <laughs> you play this card and you're a dragon now. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. Then second is the worker bot factory. It's a uncommon. Oh, yeah. Just uh, one to put it in. Exhaust an artifact trooper dwarf you control. Add an assembly counter to this artifact. Turn it. Remove five assembly counters from this artifact. Create a worker bot and put it into play. But that's not the big thing I was looking at. Its legendary is the Spear of War. Exhaust 13 robots you control. Transform this artifact into slaughter gear. (laughs) In the story thing, somewhere in the history, it said something about this rampaging, just giant thing that was actually destroying and wiping out tons of people called slaughter gear. So you can get that. You can create one. Then you can put one down. <laughs> yeah. And right, what? it doesn't even destroy the thing. So if you have 13, on your first turn, you can make one slaughter gear. Then on your next turn, you can make another <laughs> slaughter gear. <laughs> on your next turn, you can make another slaughter gear. So, yeah. It's... Vince, you were going to say? <laughs> yeah, one more card I want to throw out oh, there because we've, ta- we've talked so much about how much we love the shin hair and the shroomkin. It reminded me of the Mushwaki. Yep. Now, again, the art is gorgeous. And it's a four-cost, one-one, shroomkin mutant troop. <laughs> As the Mushwaki enters play, if it is hungry... Now, here there's an asterisk with flavor text mentioning the Mushwaki is always hungry. <laughs> <laughs> You may sacrifice any number of shin hair. The mushwaki gets a permanent plus three, plus three for each shin hair sacrificed this way. With equipment that works with it, where it has one, if the mushwaki is hungry, and I must remind you, the mushwaki is always (laughs) hungry, it can eat anything. I don't know if that includes enemy troops, but okay. Oh, dude. Oh, that or the stalagmite helm, where when this troop enters play, create eight terrified battle hoppers and shuffle them into an opposing deck. So you can give your opponent cards that they're going to eventually play that then you can eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. As you can see, folks, <laughs> everything about this game has got us excited. Now, luckily, anybody who went into the Kickstarter is going to have alpha access. And they even put on a, uh, a promotion that they've got going on right now where you can buy a slacker backer package. And that will also grant you alpha access. They're anticipating that alpha access may be about four weeks or so prior to the beta, which is supposed to start in uh, September. Now, not everything's going to be in there, obviously. It's going to be pretty bare bones, but you are still going to be able to do your duels and whatnot for PvP, which is phenomenal. And there will be some PvE stuff when the beta comes out, although, again, it's going to be minimum and come out as as the game is getting closer to release, which is sometime potentially 
they're they're I've heard different things. That for for a while they were saying they were hoping for end of this year, then they were saying maybe, you know, spring or summer of next year. So it's really hard to tell, especially considering how much additional stuff that they've added thanks to all of the slot or the um the stretch goals in the Kickstarter. So there's a lot to look forward to. Now in closing there was an interesting thread at the official forums for Cryptozoic where they were talking about why choose Hex over some of the other TCGs. TCGs are growing in popularity right now, which is fantastic for those of us who like to play them. Now, Vince and I have talked about Duel of Champions, the Might and Magic one that's out right now. We've got a couple of videos out that you can see in our channel, and there's going to be more coming for that. I'm going to be playing Joe either this week or next week, and then I'll be, no doubt, playing Vince the week after. <laughs> but there's a lot of other I'm ones. Ready. Oh, all right, bring it. Uh, <laughs> World of Warcraft is bringing out its Hearthstone, which is going to have a direct tie to... Uh, obviously, World of Warcraft. Though there's Soulforge that's being worked on as well right now, which is fairly popular among people. As is Scrolls. There's also Card Hunter, which is I've heard nothing but good stuff about this game. I personally haven't tried it yet, but man, people really dig that game. The obvious Magic: The Gathering online now that you can play, and then there are others yeah. as well. Planeswalker 2014 just came out this week, by the yeah, way. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot <laughs> of cards. I mean, hell, Steam has now got <laughs> trading cards as achievements that you can you can go into the beta for that, which I'm in. And it's awesome. I've already got it. It's actually live now. The beta's over. Oh, I thought it was uh, just, okay, cool. Now you're in the beta for one day. Congratulations. Hey, I was. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, people understand that, you know what? We like these things. Whether you're, you know, a kid or an adult, I still absolutely love these card games. And the reason that I like it, and this defines what I like about a TCG and what I look for as well, is I want something that, also plays kind of like a tactics game where in a chess match and things like that where you really have to think about and plan ahead how you're going to be moving. So like when you're looking at what is coming forward and how it's going to play in comparison to Hex, I haven't played all these, but I've played some a number of them. I'm still more excited for Hex because of what it's bringing to the table than anything else so far. Vince? Yeah, absolutely. Because in so many, the one thing I look at with Hex is uh, we've spent so much time just talking about awesome cards that each and every one of them seems overpowered in its own way. And you look at so many other CCGs where there's really two or three decks that everybody plays. You know, you have, oh, you know, this one powerful Necromancer deck or, you know, this one powerful, you know, control deck that's just unbeatable. So that's the kind of deck everybody uses. And it, just like in so many other games, you have your cookie cutters. Yeah. I honestly don't see that being possible with Hex, with the incredible amount of customization you have, the wide range of deck building options, abilities, cards. It just seems like it's going to be fun to just keep playing and always be seeing something new and that's as a card game more than anything else is what really excites me well the thing that we've been talking about as well playing duel of champions is that we're already seeing where we're playing the same decks over and over again and 
I really enjoy the game a lot. Enough so that even once Hex comes out, I'm going to keep playing Duel of Champions just because it's so fundamentally different in gameplay to what Hex will be, which is following more of a traditional Magic the Gathering type of archetype. So I'll keep playing it, but despite the fact that it's got a lot of cards, which that's what's going to be hurting some of these other games, in my opinion, is there's not enough variety in cards yet. But even though there's a lot with Duel of Champions, we're still coming across the same Necro Spider deck things over and over and over again. And oftentimes, the same cards as well being used in and that does actually get annoying and boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tristan, what about you? You've actually, for those wondering, Tristan and I have actually played a lot of card games, right? From he's, he's hell, he started playing when he was still a kid back with Yu Gi Oh cards, where we used to play that while I'd play Magic the Gathering with his older brother, I'd play Yu-Gi-Oh! with Tristan. So looking at some of the other card games that are out there and whatnot, where are you at in terms of what you're most looking forward to? Hex is going to be amazing, I think. From the things that it can do that other cards, card games can't do, and the fact that you can still get stuff, like for other card games, you have to buy a booster pack with real money, then you get the cards. In here, you can get things that then give you booster packs. Yeah, there can be booster packs in your booster packs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and see, that goes back to what I was saying too initially about how Cryptozoic is a gaming company where they're gamers primarily. And they're looking forward to playing their own game. That speaks volumes to me. So... When they are talking about like their booster packs, well, their booster packs are going to have 15 cards. There's going to be one rare or legendary, three commons, and then 11 uncommons. But on top of that, there's going to be a treasure chest in every single booster pack. And within that treasure chest, there can be equipment. There can be other stuff. There can be another booster pack inside of the booster pack. So, wow. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're. You're going to get a phenomenal gaming experience by sheer virtue of the fact that the guys who are developing it want it to be amazing for themselves. <laughs> so, Vince, closing thoughts. Uh, closing thoughts. I mean, I think you really summed it up is the guys that are making it are so passionate about what they do. They're making a game that is so unique, so so completely different from anything else out there mmo wise card game wise they're thinking so far outside the box where this i truly believe this game is going to be a a game changer for online gaming this is going to be the game which five years from now people are still going to be playing still going to be talking about oh most definitely tristan closing thoughts i'm just going to be so happy when it comes out because it's going to be able to do things that others can't like the spear being able to put things in all the way to having your character the card you love change and evolve into a better card into a better card the artwork the just everything Definitely. and there's one last card that i want to say all right <laughs> i've been looking at this card for the last five minutes but it's called the clone zone when a troop enters play it all troops transform into a copy of that troop. I saw that. Huh. Something you could never do in a normal game. But in here, say you have 
10 battle hoppers, then you put in, I don't know, a 4 4 card, they all become 4 4. But then if you accidentally play another battle hopper, you have all a bunch of little tiny characters. Yeah, see, when I read that, though, the way that I looked at it is from more of a control aspect. So what I'll do is before I end my turn, I'm going to put down a 1-1 creature. And then I'm going to put a card of some type that makes it so that and, and during the enemy's turn, they can't play creature cards. So then all he's got to work with are one ones and then come my turn slap down a you know four four or whatever kind of thing and then be able to wreak havoc on his his deck so from a control perspective that card has so much potential imagine if someone's like oh my god you want this card then you put that down and they put down that card and you have like 10 of them (laughs) (laughs) you're right this is a great card I I'll love this it. one now. <laughs> All right. That is going to wrap it up. Okay. As you could obviously tell, we are very, very excited for this game. If you have not gone to the site yet, go to hextcg.com. You can still pick up the Slacker Backer package, which is going to give you a variety of some booster packs and whatnot in a starter deck and support the game. The game is actually going to be free to play. You're going to get a free starter deck. And then from there, it's up to you how much you want to support them by buying boosters because you're also going to just plain be winning stuff as you're playing the game also but it is a phenomenal game from what we've seen already gameplay wise it will be a game changer not just for tcgs but all manner of online games because we all get to decide where we want to spend our evenings do you want to spend it doing dailies in wow or do you want to do a phenomenal raid with a couple of your buddies you know where we're going to be. We're going to have a guild come as soon as the alpha is out. I'm going to be creating the guild for us. We'll advertise it. You're free to join us. We will definitely be in there all the time having a blast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to our channel, please, and stop and visit our site at internetdragons.tv. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Internet Dragons. Thanks for listening. <laughs>